Of all the doomsday scenarios that keep cyber officials up at night, an attack on major infrastructure probably tops the list. Targeting an electrical grid or, say, a water treatment plant can bring a city to a standstill or compromise national security. And so far, this kind of attack has been so rare, when hackers manage to get into infrastructure, the attacks actually get sinister-sounding names like Stuxnet or Indestroyer. That second one, Indestroyer, showed up six years ago in an electrical grid near Kiev, and people are still talking about it. Robert Lepofsky is the principal threat intelligence researcher at a cybersecurity company called ESET. Industry was A, the first malware ever specifically designed to attack power grids, and B, it was the second ever after Stuxnet malware designed to create physical damage to equipment. Like break things in the physical world. The example everyone goes back to is Stuxnet. It was a piece of malware that attacked a uranium enrichment plant in Iran in 2010. Stuxnet allowed hackers to take control of the centrifuges that enrich uranium and then ordered them to spin so fast, they literally broke. Lepofsky says that the Indestroyer malware they found in 2016 looked like it could actually do the same kind of damage to a power grid. But the hackers seemed to be just testing it. Because all they did was turn out the lights in a suburb of Kiev for about an hour in the middle of the night. And then the industrial malware just vanished. No one saw it in the wild for years. Until this past April, when Lepovsky and his team found it in a different regional power supplier in Ukraine. It was a new version of Industrial. And to understand what that really meant, Think of it as someone hacking into Pepco or PG&E and then doing it in the middle of a war. I'm Dina Templerast, and this is Click Here, a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. Today, we look at a sophisticated cyber attack launched against Ukrainian transmission stations. And had it not been for a kind of thank God it's Friday miracle, this industrial control hack could have struck a real blow in the early weeks of the war. And we talked to a high-ranking member of Ukraine's now infamous IT army, which is fighting these very kinds of attacks. A group of IT professionals, not soldiers, who are helping Ukraine punch way above its weight, not just in cyberspace, but on the ground, too. Basically, once I started hearing about civilians and children and women and elderly getting bombed or killed or starved, is when I decided that I have to do something. Stay with us. If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to therecord.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she and will she win? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. 
Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Robert Lepofsky says what made the 2016 Indestroyer malware different from most malware is that it spoke this very old, very specialized control system language. It was something that, that stands out, that something that we have never seen before. The Indestroyer malware spoke a kind of Dothraki that only control systems speak. These protocols were designed decades ago without security in mind. So once the attackers get access, they can send out those commands to the circuit breakers to open them. The malware was able to tell the system to open the circuit breakers or perhaps keep those circuit breakers closed, which could physically burn out part of the power plant. Indestroyer is the brainchild of a hacking group called Sandworm. They're a unit of Russia's military intelligence agency, the GRU. And one of the people trying to stop them is this guy. We have a very special guest today, directly from Ukraine, Mr. Viktor Zhora, who is the deputy chairman of the State Service of Special Communications. And he's overseeing the incident response to the industry to attack. So Victor Jure was at the Black Hat conference, a sort of unbilled surprise guest. It's a privilege for me to be at the Black Hat for the very first time. He's wearing the conference uniform, a black T-shirt and jeans. And he said Ukraine was half expecting some sort of in-destroyer-like comeback. So most of these attackers are focusing critical infrastructure and government agencies. And based on experience we gained from the last uh, eight years of uh, cyber aggression against Ukraine, we continue being very uh, attentive to all tips we receive uh, regarding the uh, energy sector. So when an energy company told Ukrainian authorities that someone was in their systems, he reacted right away. When we received this confirmation from them that uh, there are potential issues, and we immediately started providing incident response. Apparently, people at the company had clicked on a phishing email before the invasion had even started. And with that one click, Indestroyer and its creators were in. But the malware had become much more complex in the years since it had last been seen. This time, Victor says, it was part of a cascading array of attacks that would stop computers from booting up and erase hard drives. We later discovered load maze malware uh, for Windows workstations which meant they were targeting individual desktops. And the attack had a very specific trigger. In the command line that launched the malware, there was... An algorithm which is waiting for letter Z. The letter Z, of course, has become a symbol in Russia to show support for the war. So the hackers were being cute. But here's the thing. This wasn't an attack that was supposed to just happen any time. It was supposed to happen at a very precise moment. The overall idea was to provide this blackout in the end of Friday, uh, 5.58 uh, uh, p.m. Robert Lepofsky analyzed the code, and he thinks the most recent attack was meant to mirror what happened in 2016. And he figures it was supposed to unfold something like this. What the attackers actually tried to do is de-energize the substation. So flip a switch to start a blackout. Then wipe those controlling stations so the operators uh, couldn't see, couldn't have visibility into the, the status uh, of the environment and also 
couldn't control it, couldn't do anything about it, um, except for uh, restoring the power manually. Which could cause a power surge. Then that could theoretically, because it depends on a lot of variables, maybe cause physical damage. Would it to, blow it up? To sum it up. Maybe. Wow. Who knows? Imagine what that kind of attack could do in the early stages of a full-scale war. Even that day, the day the attack was supposed to happen. Imagine the scenes outside. People would start to drive home and the traffic lights would go out. They'd hop on trains that would eventually stop in their tracks. Shops would close. Even under the best of circumstances, it'd be frightening. Which was exactly the intention. Victor sees it as a digital component of Russia's conventional war to keep the Ukrainian people on the back foot. We consider this to be a kind of supportive operation to a lot of uh, conventional operations that uh, have an each day. And uh, this is a totally destructive action focusing on completely civilian infrastructure. Focusing completely on civilian infrastructure, the very kind of attack that keeps cybersecurity officials up at night. We'll never know if that was the hacker's exact intention, because the Russian attackers neglected to take into account one very important thing, a kind of TGIF thing. Friday is a short working day, and most of, uh, most of people uh, end their work at 5 p.m. or even 4 p.m. Never underestimate just how badly people want to leave work on a Friday. At 5.58, on a Friday evening when the attack was supposed to start, most of the workstations at the utility were off. So there were no hard drives powered up, so the malware couldn't wipe them clean. Robert said the attack never really got a chance to start. Had they planned to do this at right after lunch on a Friday, what would have happened? Speculating, but yes. the wipers might have had better success. So worst case scenario, everything works the way they want it to. What could have happened? Well, there would be a blackout. And a blackout that would affect a lot of people. So the electrical distribution company, the Obel Energo, serves electricity in a region with 2 million people at a time of a raging war. One of the lessons here, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And the other, we just got a little bit closer to realizing one of those scary infrastructure attacks. All of Ukrainians uh, are grateful to people who continue to weaken our adversary. When we come back, we meet someone else fighting Russian hackers in cyberspace, a high-ranking member of the IT Army of Ukraine. You may have heard of them. They're a volunteer hacking force made up literally of hundreds of thousands of IT professionals from all corners of the world. If we're talking about uh, Russian IT forces, if I can say so, they are not as um, sufficient and uh, massive as ours. Stay with us. Politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts.
what's the best way for us to refer to you? Uh, you can refer to me as uh, uh, IT Army Admin, if it's okay with you. Admin for short. <laughs> okay. Because my uh, circumstances uh, didn't change from the last time we spoke to each other. We last spoke to Admin back in March, and his circumstances, and the reason we agreed not to use his name, have to do with where he's living. He's in Kiev. When we last checked in with him, he used to have to take his parents into the basement during rocket attacks. They've moved, so he doesn't have to do that anymore. One of the reasons uh, why it's that uh, we are not living in an important area of a town, so there are not uh, much targets to attack. And he says there have been big changes for the IT army in the past six months, too. They've become much more professional and organized. At the start, uh, we faced a few uh, problems uh, with the trust, with uh, dependability on each other. Uh, right now, I'm uh, ready to say that uh, we became like uh, a hub for um, digital resistance here in Ukraine. A hub for digital resistance, he says. They're organizing hundreds of thousands of people who want to help Ukraine keep Russia busy on the cyber front. We connected uh, more than a few groups together. We connected uh, many talented uh, people to help us build tools, to manage our activity, to search for new targets. We became much uh, bigger, much better. People all over the world wanted to volunteer, which the IT Army welcomed, but it was hard to tell who was friend or who was foe. They knew that Russian agents were trying to infiltrate the group. With the problem of trust that we faced at the start of the war, it still haunts us. It's kind of hard to share some crucial information with the people you don't trust. So they set up systems to assess the volunteers and protect against infiltration and sabotage. They have silos of information, things on a need-to-know basis. The group has weekly meetings and special channels only its leadership can access. They have a special committee that does targeting, and then they send that up the chain. They try to limit their interaction to when big decisions need to be made. Uh, if someone have uh, a question, we don't really like put on a big uh, call for it. We can discuss it fast enough uh, with the team. Is it important to make a decision quicker? then, yeah, we can uh, make a call sooner. With these systems in place, they were able to take in and work with volunteers from Poland, the United States, the Hacker Collective Anonymous, people from all over the world. So how big are you now? It's usually better to be quiet about the numbers. Can you give me an idea of how much bigger you are than six months ago? I believe, uh, I will not uh, exaggerate uh, if I tell you that, yeah, we are doubled in size. Wow. From all over the world? Yes. We still have more um, users from Ukraine because it's our uh, war, it's our problem, but it's always nice to see people joining from uh, other sides of the world, cheering for us, trying to do their best to help. And using Telegram and other chat channels, the IT Army's hundreds of thousands of members have managed to do some really amazing things, 
like a denial-of-service attack that delayed President Vladimir Putin's opening speech at Russia's equivalent of Davos. Russia's president today giving his annual speech at the forum after a delay caused by what the Kremlin calls massive cyber attacks. Hackers helping the IT army stole 20 million Russian cell phone numbers. And they built a website that allows people to message Russians directly to tell them the truth about the war. Others created a system that allowed people to log and report Russian troop movements. And while the attack on Russia's Davos was just a simple denial-of-service operation, it did what it needed to do. It embarrassed Putin. It told the world that, no, everything isn't fine in Russia. Things aren't normal. And that's the IT Army's MO. It doesn't launch big, complicated attacks. It's behind lots of little, irritating ones. And, Admin told us, about two dozen key people are behind the decisions to do that. I can't count the number of people who are busy with executing tasks, but on a higher level, I mean. If we're talking about the decision makers, it's around uh, 25 uh, general um, leaders. All Ukrainian? Yes. Uh, so... The control of the IT army is in the hands of Ukrainian professionals. Yes. Everyone seems to agree that the IT army's antics have kept Russian hackers so busy defending the motherland, it's cut back on the time they have to attack Ukrainian networks. In fact, the head of Britain's Signals Intelligence Service, GCHQ, recently tipped his hat to the IT army, saying they were an important part of the most effective cyber defense in history. Just as Ukraine surprised the world by holding off Russia on the ground, its cyber forces are punching above their weight in cyberspace, too. I uh, believe that uh, we will be victorious, uh, that we will um, take back uh, all our land, all the other territories that we uh, lost. But I'm not sure that uh, it will happen uh, by the end of the year, because uh, from what I can see, Russia is slowly preparing for long-term war. This is Click Here. Stanford's Internet Observatory and the online analytics company Graphica just released a new report on influence operations. They analyzed a bunch of fake accounts, trying to understand how they targeted specific audiences to push political messages or change their minds about things. Russia did that during our election season, and China and Iran target U.S. audiences all the time. But what made this new report different was that it studied influence operations that seemed to originate in the West. Producer Will Jarvis has the story. Influence operations have certain set pieces, no matter who is behind them fake sock puppet persona accounts pretending to be citizens of various countries, creating front media outlets, using AI-generated images as profile photos. Shelby Grossman is a researcher with Stanford's Internet Observatory and is co-author of a new report called Unheard Voice. It's an analysis of hundreds of overlapping accounts that Twitter and Meta had removed for supposed inauthentic behavior. What makes this different is that this wasn't just another Russian influence operation. This one was pushing pro-Western themes. Twitter said that they believed it originated in the U.S. and Great Britain, and Facebook said they believed it originated in the United States. 
That's Jack Stubbs. He's vice president of intelligence at Grafica, and he worked with Grossman on the report. He said they can't attribute these operations to a specific government, but the narratives were clearly favorable to the U.S. For example, some posts created the impression that there was widespread grassroots support for USAID programs in Iraq. Others focused on playful interactions between U.S. soldiers and children in Syria. So not exactly subtle. And as a general matter, the accounts seem to accentuate things that made Russia or Iran or China look bad. So, for example, there was lots of content targeting people in lots of different countries about Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February. If you were sitting in Central Asia, you might see a post suggesting that you could be in Russia's crosshairs next. The problem with these kind of influence campaigns, aside from their ham-handedness, is that it's really hard to tell if they're successful. If the metric is engagement, well... It was just kind of funny because, you know, the tweets are getting no engagement but they're just kind of continuing with the same strategy over and over and over again, like for hundreds and hundreds of tweets. They posted at regular intervals, and they said the same thing over and over and over again. It was just bad social media content. So what did they learn from all this? Something they already kind of knew, that if online personas don't feel authentic, they don't get much traction. It doesn't matter if they come from authoritarian regimes or pro-Western bots. But there was one success story. It was last June, One of these fake Facebook groups reposted a video from a verified news outlet. A reporter is in a field surrounded by melons. He's interviewing a man who found a new way to water his land. I think it was an Uzbek farmer who was growing fruits in the desert. It got hundreds of thousands of views on Facebook. It was their great viral moment. Except for one thing. It had nothing to do with politics. I'm Will Jarvis, and this is Click Here. Here are some of the top cyber and intelligence stories from the past week. An Iranian hacker group called Muddy Water has been allegedly exploiting the Log4j vulnerability to access corporate networks in Israel. That's according to new Microsoft research. Log4j is a popular library for logging in Java applications. Just about every organization that uses Java uses Log4j. According to Microsoft, the hackers found vulnerabilities in a popular IT management software called SysAid. Lots of Israeli organizations use it. And this isn't just a random hack. According to U.S. Cyber Command, Muddy Water has been linked to the Iranian Ministry of Intelligence and Security. Turkish-speaking hackers are using free software downloading sites to spread crypto mining malware, according to new research by Checkpoint. It said it discovered the campaign at the end of July, and the ploy may have infected thousands of devices across 11 countries. The group has been offering imitations of PC applications like Google Translate and then slipping their malware in that way. Once installed, the malware forces a device to verify cryptocurrency transactions. And finally, the Federal Trade Commission filed a lawsuit this week against Kochava, a major data broker. The FTC alleges that the company is selling geolocation data from hundreds of millions of mobile devices to reveal potentially sensitive information. It sells, among other things, geolocation data associated with unique marketing IDs, which can reveal whether the person has visited sensitive locations, like a place of worship or somewhere that might be providing reproductive services. Such data can also be relatively easily tied back to an individual.
Click Here is a production of The Record by Recorded Future. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, your host, writer, and executive producer. Sean Powers is our senior producer and marketing director, and Will Jarvis is our producer and helps with the writing. Karen Duffin and Lou Olkowski are our editors, Darren Ancrum is our fact-checker, and Ben Levingston composes our original music, and other music is from Blue Dot Sessions. Kendra Hanna is our intern. And for those of you who listened to The Bitter End, thank you, we have a little audio postcard for you from Alex, who's living in Kiev. He recorded this on Ukraine's Independence Day, August 24th, a day that also marked the six-month anniversary of Russia's invasion. My name is Alex, and uh, at the moment I live in Kiev. It's not like the usual holiday, you know? It's not the usual holiday. It's totally different. Today is exactly six months of the war. So when you spend six months uh, in this, it's like you're getting used to it. A rocket can strike any any place in the Ukraine, and there is no safe place for Ukrainian. Right now, I'm started to feel, uh, to think, uh, think more about the future. Um, and right now I'm trying to be useful because right now it's hard. It's really hard to not doing anything, but there is like 1000 ways you can help. And um, at the Independence Day, I, I want to say that a Ukrainian nation born again. I'm really proud to be Ukrainian today right now and gonna proud till the end of my days and hope we will win soon and thank you guys for telling my story and the story of the ukrainian people looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on click here then check out our sister publication the record from recorded future news You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to therecord.media.